Okay, am I recording? I think we're recording. Got, yeah, it looks yeah. Like got three here. seconds of magic, four seconds, five. This is all good, and it's all going in. Because yeah. I don't really have time to edit this week, so just <laughs> what you're hearing, folks, this is the first true live stream of opening weekend. No, it's not. Um, but I don't have a cold open this week, but... There's a touch of fall in the air this morning in New York City. And so I'm going to welcome or perhaps manifest sweater weather <gasps> by playing the trailer to Fred's most anticipated movie of autumn. Happy September, everyone, from your friends at oh. Hocus Pocus 2. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Happy birthday. You won the contest. Thanks. So what do you guys do tonight? Watch what the fist is doing. Birthday rituals, scary movie marathon, same as every year. Oh, the free country, I'm a person. You know, legend has it. It's on the 16th birthday that a witch gets her powers. Another year begins anew. Ah, the French champagne. Maiden mother and crown too. Those celebrated with excellence. There's a California champagne by Inspired. By that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. Champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. That's what she said. That's my joke, damn it, Dwight. The Sanderson sisters. I bet you're looking for the stage. I've never seen anything like this. Always. Uh, Welcome to episode 81 of Opening uh, Weekend. <laughs> coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening Weekend. Rated R. Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week we travel way back to 1976 and the start of my first ever school year. As we revisit the cinematic releases of the weekend of September 17th, Alan Parker's debut film, the kitty gangster musical Bugsy Malone, and the rare instance of Woody Allen acting in a film he did not also write and direct, Ants with a Z. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, back it up. That cinematic classic doesn't arrive until 1998. No, no, no. We're talking 1976 when Alan starred with the magnificent Zero Mostel in Martin Ritt's ode to the 1950s Hollywood blacklist, The Front. But before we dive into the week's films, where were we all, if we can remember, in September of 1976? Well, obviously we were all going to our big bicentennial parties, right? <laughs> I mean, it, was, it seemed like there was one every weekend, right? <laughs> Am I right? You had to dress up like John Adams one day. You know, there was absolutely. the big musket fight party. I mean, it was... Yeah. I remember being really into the Bicentennial. I me, was like into it. Me, see, here's the weird thing. I do too. I, but I was... Four, I had just turned four in July. I was four I years old. So I was... But I have this clear memory that obviously does not exist of doing bicentennial celebrations of doing, I literally have a memory of doing a bicentennial play at school, but I wasn't in school. 
So where does this come from? I do remember you steered one of the tall ships into the harbor at four years old <laughs> because the tall me. ships. I remember oh, everyone talking about the tall ships. Um, yeah, that couldn't have been. Maybe I mean the nation kind of celebrated this for years yeah. after it happened. Like it was st- like I remember having a bicentennial mug in the cupboard, and I was like, "What the fuck? What the hell is this?" Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. Like like there was still talk of it, and I think it was probably because we were coming out of you know Nixon and Watergate Vietnam, and Vietnam and, yeah, and all yeah. that, right? Yeah, maybe maybe that's what it. it was. I do remember like yeah, it was bicentennial everything, and I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but it just seemed like to me it seemed like an extension of the 4th of July. I'm like, well, we're just yeah. doing the 4th of July over and over and over and over again. Yes. Right. Yes. Right, I had right, right. A, a comic book. I was thinking about it because I was like, well, the big memory from September of 76 would be like starting kindergarten for me. And I'll, You're old. But, but I remembered, mm. I was thinking the same thing, Fred. I was like, well, 76, bicentennial. And I remember I had a comic book it was a, it was Spidey, it, not Spider-Man, Spidey Super Stories, which was like the, the, the Spider-Man comic that was easy to read. It was the sure. one associated with the electric company. And so yeah. it was Spider-Man and Captain America ah. flanking the Liberty Bell. And they're both oh. like swinging in in front of the Liberty Bell. And I lost it. I remember losing uh. it. And I had just gotten it and I lost it somehow. It must have fallen oh. out of the car or something. And I was obsessed. And I remember, I can remember vividly crying about it and searching the driveway at my grandparents' house oh. and like and my grandfather then driving me to like stores to like see if they had any more copies of it anywhere because I was oh, so despondent about losing no. this one. There was someone waving comic. that issue when they stormed the Capitol actually. I, yeah, it was, oh my God. Would, that was me. America, fuck yeah. <laughs> um isn't that funny? I still remember it's funny you just brought back a memory where it might have been around this age or a little older, but I remember being in my car, my parents' car, we were driving somewhere. We might have been driving out east or something to Montauk. And I remember I got this, uh, it was like a toy gun. It almost looked like there was like electricity coursing through it. And, you know, it would be like, make a noise. Like a spark gun, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the car and like aiming it out the window, like shooting the truck drivers. And no, and like I was a little kid, you know, I I I might have been around this age. And and like, you know, other drivers would look and they'd be like, you know, finger gun back. And I remember I put it out and it flew. I must have like lost the grip and it flew out. And I was so upset. Like I was just, you you talking about that comic. I know. And I was like, oh, I want to get that gun back. And they're like, my parents are like, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, that was it. But yes, story. You you know, Captain America and Spidey swinging into to Liberty, and I'm shooting at people. And I mean, we should we really should have been storming the Capitol together. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, how did all those? What started all those those fat fifty year olds on the road breaking into the nation's capital? Yeah, I just want that gun. That gun I lost on the causeway. I want it back. (laughs) You can't take it. I lost I lost a podium when I was three years old. So that's why I was there stealing podiums. To- <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, you know what I was looking at? Because I, I was, of course, I'm like, I can't really remember. I, I, I know I went to a preschool. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure I went and I have vague memories of that. We've talked about this in the past, like just mm. like the big blocks they give you and, you know, how dangerous mm. it was. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but I was looking at, if I can find, I found, um, it was just like all, because at this point, you know, we're coming out of the summer. 
Um, so there's still that idea of, you know, all of like the Saturday morning cartoons in 76 oh, yeah. and all the shows that were on. And we've, we've oh, talked this about this is prime magic garden time. Prime. This is absolutely prime chuckle patch time. Yep. This was, uh, it's, it's always prime chuckle patch time. <laughs> <laughs> The Croft oh. Super Show. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. With which I forgot they had the band Captain Cool and the Kongs. I don't remember that. Do you remember that it was I it was a rock group? Not remember that. Yeah, and uh, there was Kongs? Wonderbug and uh, Electra about? Woman and Dinah Girl. That, I remember that. That I remember. The Lost Saucer. You remember that with Jim Neighbors and Ruth Buzzy? No. Ooh, <laughs> that rings a faint, faint bell. Yes. Did she still have the purse? Was she whacking him with the purse, even though Probably. they were in outer space? Yeah. Okay. And the hairnet. Oh, huh, there was a show on. Oh, I don't remember this. There was a show at, on twelve thirty called Muggsy. What the fuck are you talking about? Was it Anyone? a dog? Was Muggsy it a dog? Muggsy Malone? <laughs> yes, was it, it, was a, it was a dog, dog? actually. Yeah, it's yeah, I remember Muggsy's that. Muggsy's dog is sold to animal researchers. She tracks yeah. down the man who robbed her. <laughs> yeah. Sold to animal researchers? Maybe so, like a, so Project X was a ripoff of Muggsy. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. You might. Were you getting too old at this? Were you guys getting too old at this time for like Sesame Street, Magic Garden? I was fucking I still four. Watched that. No. What do you mean? <laughs> Every time you open up your mouth, you give away your ignorance. What about Captain Kangaroo? Were you watchers of Captain Kangaroo of at this time? Oh, yeah. Were we American? Fuck yeah. Of we <laughs> what are we? What is this, Russia? Uh, I was very scared when the ping pong balls would come down. That I remember. Remember he would. Remember the ping pong balls would rain down on him and the moose or the, oh, the, yeah. the dog or whatever his companion was. Like all the ping pong balls. That was a scary moment. I was scared by a lot of things. We'll talk about this when it comes to Bugsy Malone, but there there were a lot of things on TV where I was like, nope, I won't, I can't, I can't watch that. I have to look away. But they weren't scary to anyone else, you know, like, it's like, like fish. The, yes, Bernice. Like the pink, yeah, like the, my fear irrational fear of fish. Yes, Bernice. Like the like the the man on WPIX who would be like, hey, this was an editorial reply. I was scared of him. Yeah. I was scared of the ping pong balls and Captain <laughs> Kangaroo. Uh, and you know, I I needed gentle entertainment. I was very scared of Electric Company. The whole show. <gasps> I was. I didn't. I didn't like oh. any of that. I was like, Electric this is Company too much was for me. a little freaky. I, I was always yeah. freaked out. We've talked about it. I was always a little freaked out by Spider-Man on the electric company. Yes. It, didn't really? talk. it was yeah. a little, it was, it was creepy to me. It, it was, was too, a that creepy. whole show was too in your face. I needed gentle, oh my God. gentle so entertainment. Mr. Rogers kid. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mr. Rogers, for sure. I would, I would, I would deal with, it, it, to me, it was like, <laughs> on the, it was like electric company was the pinnacle. It's like, this is what programming for us is supposed to be. Oh, and Sesame no. Street's okay. also quite good. Mr. Rogers was like, okay, <laughs> you know, it seemed like that was for the elderly. I mean, it didn't seem like that was really for children. I, th I was like, well, this is awfully boring for children, but yes, it was soothing. No electric company. I loved, I thought every I was always bored by Mr. Rogers. You were bored by Mr. Rogers. I was bored by Mr. Yeah, Rogers. Me too. I mean, he was, I was like, you're a sweet man. There's value in what you're saying. I, I understand. It's nice that you have a job. That you don't seem like a person who can hold down a job, but clearly you're coming in, taking off a jacket from somewhere, putting on a sweater. I was like, what? what's with the sneakers? How much running are you doing? You're just kind of 
He's you're, just trying to get comfy. He's just a feeding comfy fish. Man. He's a very yes, comfy fish. But, you know what? But he also hung out with marionettes, and marionettes are inherently creepy looking. They're all freaky. I didn't like that. Yet another thing add to the list of things I was scared <gasps> by. When he went to the land of make believe, I was like, and I'll be leaving the room and going to have my chef boy RD, and then I'll come back. <laughs> When I agree. He's no longer in the land of make believe because they were scary. Muppets yeah. were not scary to me. What was kindergarten like for you, Jason? Kindergarten How was, was that? Awesome. I loved. It. I rem- <laughs> I still remember the first day I went to kindergarten. <laughs> like Happy Days was on. Like a, a rerun of Happy Days was on in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm getting ready to go. And and it was an episode where Richie and I don't know it was Potsy, <laughs> but somebody they were in bunk beds. They were in bunk beds. I don't know oh, why. God. And I thought, I think this is what kindergarten is going to be like. I thought <laughs> I was going. Yes. I thought I was going to a place with bunk beds for some reason. I thought we were going to have our compartment. I didn't know the concept of having a desk or something like that. I was like, I guess we're each going to have because it was like they were in barracks or something. It was some unusual situation for the Happy Days gang. Like what they were like away from home and they were in these bunk beds. I was like, I guess I. And then I was like, I don't want to be on the top bunk. I'll fall off. I'll hurt myself. So anyway, I remember that very vividly. Then I remember being there and and really I loved it. I loved it. And I remember that it was my first kind of sort of crush on an actual oh, human being. Here we go. Was, here we go. Potsy. Well, it was because we. Was it, yeah. Because, was it your teacher, Al Molinaro? No, it was, it was, <laughs> was Stacy Kaplan, a little girl no. named Stacy Kaplan. Because, and I only remember this because, you know, you would have snack time and, mm. and you would, mm. and you'd have to go, they'd send one kid with a little wagon down the hall to go get the milk from the cafeteria to bring back for snack time. Do you remember this? Do you guys have any vague recollection? Sure, of of course. So they had a little red wagon and you'd go and the cafeteria lady would give you the, but it was you, you know, it was a lot of responsibility, like going down the hall to get the milk and you could pick it when it was your day, you could pick somebody to go with you. And I remember very vividly being like, Stacey Kaplan, would you like to come? Accompany me to get the milk. We had nothing get to talk about. Milk. It was not get a, the- you know, we didn't, it, she wasn't a great conversationalist at five, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure I was awesome. But uh, yeah, so I you still like, remember. You like, like milk? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, like, you, uh, do you like milk? I already said yes. Uh, lemonade? Uh, around the corner? Fudge being made? <laughs> um, Did you ever say, are you or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? She had pinko written all over <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Pinko Tuscadero, as she was known on Happy Day. Back to Happy Days. Right before I went uh, to testify in front of the House on American (laughs) Activities Committee, I had seen another episode of Happy Days, and I thought, I bet this is what it's going to be like. A lot of people named Pinky. (laughs) Joseph McCarthy often gave the Malachi Crunch, you know, to... When he was in those hearings. <laughs> Sir, have you no decency? Oh, I got crunched. <laughs> I got crunched. I got crunched. I got the <laughs> communist crunch. <laughs> That's what Woody Allen says in the first three seconds of The Front. A front for blacklisted writers. You're not a writer. No, I, I, I couldn't write a grocery list. Are you refusing to answer? If you don't answer, they can send you to jail. Columbia Pictures presents Woody Allen as The Front. The story of a man who didn't know how much a favor could mean. The Front. You have a head start if you 
Set against the backdrop of the 1950s Hollywood blacklist, when actors, writers, and directors were rendered unemployable upon being accused of subversive political activities in support of communism, Martin Ritz the Front finds its central character, restaurant cashier Howard Prince, played by Woody Allen, apathetic toward the politics around him. When Howard's close friend, a blacklisted screenwriter played by Michael Murphy, asks to sell one of his scripts under Howard's name, Howard sees an opportunity to both help a friend in need and change his own financial fortunes. The ploy works brilliantly, and soon Howard becomes a front. Did you see what I did there? For several disgraced television writers. But after witnessing the professional and social destruction of comedian Hecky Brown, played by Zero Mostel, and based on a friend of Mostel's who suffered his own tragic consequences as a result of his blacklisting, Howard sees the corruption of McCarthyism for what it is and decides to take a stand and make a difference. There is actually no available box office information for The Front, so I can only assume that the film itself was blacklisted and that we are the only three people who have ever seen it. Fred and Dan, what do you guys think of Martin Ritz, The Front? I remember going to see this in the theaters uh, after one of my bicentennial parties. <laughs> and uh, I, no, I did not. Obviously, I did not see this when it came out. But I was always aware of this movie because I've spoken about this before. You know, in our den, we had all these VHS tapes in the back, and that was on, we had the front on a VHS tape. It was, you what? know, I guess my parents must have taped it off TV or something, but mm. I can oh. so clearly see, you know, the little white TDK thing or whatever it was, and it was <laughs> the front... I don't remember what else. It was probably like the front airplane and like a Muppet show episode front, or something. The back. The, the back. Middle, I think. Middle, the middle. So I always remember it and and thinking like, oh, because again, it was next to, and we, we, we talked about this, I think when we did Godfather 2, it was next to their copies of The Godfather. And it was like hmm. towards the back of the den was where like the more adult movies were. Uh-huh. So I just always assume like, well, that's uh, that's an adult movie and the, the front, I don't know, it just sounded very, you know, abrasive and the front and dark. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until much later in life that I realized that, Oh, it was a Woody Allen movie. And, oh, Zero Mostel is in it? The guy from The Producers? Okay. But I still never saw it. And I and I heard it was okay, but I, I, I watched it last night for the first time. Uh, and, yeah, it was, it was okay. I mean, aren't you ashamed to pontificate like that? You know, it's weird. It's a weird movie in the sense that I don't think it knows... I think Woody Allen might have been a poor choice. I was watching this. I kept thinking like, man, I wish someone like Dustin Hoffman was in it, yeah. you know, and maybe because I was I kept thinking of Tootsie, like someone who's pretending to be something they're mm-hmm. not. But I just thought that would have been more interesting. I mean, what I like about Woody Allen in the role is he's a really unlikable character and putting aside what we know of Woody Allen now, <laughs> right. which is interesting because there's a line at the end where the girl says, uh, you know, it's something about separating the the artist with the man. Yes, or she, yeah, she yeah, says that. Yeah. I think the woman mm-hmm. says, "Like I always confuse the artist with the man. Yep. I still respect you as an artist." As she leaves, and I was like, "Ooh, wow, that's uh, that yeah. was prescient." Good, that's nice. really true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we've we've had several conversations about Woody on on, on this podcast, but why? You know, What's he, he was, done? <laughs> I didn't hear about it. <laughs> he did some funny movies. <laughs> you know, he is he's a pretty unlikable character. You know, he's like yeah. a and and so that that you know he he plays that part up but it's also it's hard because he's 
So this was 76. So you could tell like Annie, he must have probably filmed Annie Hall right after this because he's do, he's already yeah. doing like the Alvy singer, the, <clears throat> you know, the little yeah. cough thing. Yeah. You know, that's coming into it. And there were, there were very clear moments. First of all, it's very strange watching Woody Allen in a movie that's not directed by Woody Allen. Yeah. Because yeah. you expect him, a certain yeah. style, whether, you know, like him or not, whatever, whatever you think about Woody Allen, his movies are, there's a very, there's a certain aesthetic to them. There's a way that he yes. sets up the shots. There's a way that the dialogue goes. There's a way, there's an editing, you know, there's a way that all of his movies flow in a very similar way. Um, and, you so it was very off-putting for me to be seeing Woody Allen, but with in 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 not a Woody Allen filmed movie and different styles of shots and weird. There's that very strange tracking shot of the waiter bringing the egg creams to him and Michael Murphy in the beginning, and I'm like, yes. that would never be in a Woody Allen movie, right? Yeah, it, <laughs> it was. It, it was so that was a little strange, uh, but and I don't know if this was because it was Woody Allen and he was doing, there were definitely lines where you're like, oh, that's a Woody Allen line, you mm -hmm. know, where she's like, wow, you really write human stories. You know, your people are so human or something. And he was like, ah, well, you know, when you be, when you're writing stories about people, I think they should be human or something like that. <laughs> that's a very and, Woody Allen. -esque yeah. Line. There were yeah. certain mm -hmm. moments that yeah. seemed like, well, that's Woody Allen doing Woody Allen. And yeah. at times I'm like, it was like the movie didn't know, is it, is it, trying to be sort of like a wacky comedy mm -hmm. um, at times. But I mean, the subject matter is so, and, and I, I don't know if, I think I was reading that there was really never a movie about, you know, the, 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 the witch hunts right? of the time. So this so is sort of the first thing. Yeah. That's what it feels like it feels like it has the important, like, the way uh, my favorite things about the movie are the opening credits, the closing yeah. credits, yes. and Zero Must Tell. I yes. found like myself, I was like so excited to watch the movie based on the as it opened. I was like, this is this is great. This is drawing me right in. Is that is that very first shot of is that yes. Joseph McCarthy yeah. at like his I, daughter's wedding? Daughter's yeah, for wedding, those who haven't yeah. seen it, it opens yeah. with it's it's uh, um, fairy tales, fairy tales can, come can come true. true. Can young to at you, heart. Young yeah, young at heart, right? And but it's showing like Joseph McCarthy like smiling at his wedding, and it's the whole song. They play the whole song. Yes, and they, they do, and they show like documentary, and it ends with the Rosenbergs being led yes, off to their execution. Right. It's brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's that's really right. kind of brilliant. And um, it goes through Korea, you know, it's everything from the, po from the end of world, world war two, which is what we, you, yeah. it, it puts you in mind of what did we fight against in that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? What did we, what did we, what did the world rally to, 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 um, squash, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not just, uh, Hitler himself, but the idea of fascism and propaganda and lies and the, the the things that you know i mean we're seeing it now with putin right i mean and and that's what the world rallied and said this is bad this thing and not that long after that mm -hmm. here we are basically doing an american version of that and saying here here's what it means to be an american here's what it means to be an un-american here's yeah. un-american I thought it was a really, really powerful movie. I actually had seen this before oh, and wow. not oh, yeah. and, and not remembered that I had seen it. Um, hmm. uh, Taylor, a few years ago, before all the Woody Allen um, stuff came came down, was on sort of a Woody Allen kick and watch, trying to watch, you know, all of the movies that she had never seen before. And this was on. And 
and I, I came in about, I don't know, a quarter of the way through it or a third of the way through. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I've never mm-hmm. seen this one, but it was years ago and I had forgot that I'd seen it. But as soon as this, you know, started and it got enough into it, it was like, oh no, this is that movie. This is that movie mm-hmm. with Zero Mostel. And he, you know, goes out the window and all, and all of that stuff. Ooh, so, God, yeah. um, I really, really enjoy this. I, I'm, I'm with you on the opening and closing credits. It's just the layers of irony in this movie mm. just keep coming back and back and back. And then the credits, when you find out, you find out uh, so many of the actors and director and writers of this were themselves <gasps> yes. blacklisted, yeah. uh, including Herschel Bernardi, who yeah. plays Phil Sussman, who was brilliant, I think. I love the moment where he's on the phone. He's like, we're going to stand up against them and we're going to do it and we're going to fight. Yes. Okay. You got to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has no, that he was great, great phone moment. He was great. He was blacklisted, which I didn't know. What the hell happened to Andrea Markovici? She was terrific. Did she ever do anything else of note? I don't know. I she I was familiar nice. to me, but she I don't sure know. She sure did. Yeah. She was, she was nominated for a Golden Globe for, like, I guess they used to have a Golden Globe for, like, most promising new star or new actress or something. And so she had that nomination to her credit, I read. But no, I'm not familiar with her beyond this, but I thought she was good. Yeah, I thought everybody was good. You're right, though. Like when I read the descriptions of this, it says a drama about, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. It never felt like a drama. There's something about it no. that filming. And Martin Ritt is a very accomplished, you know, he did Norma Ray. He's done a million things. Yes. I mean, he's a very accomplished director of dramas. Mm-hmm. But maybe because it's Woody Allen, maybe because it yeah. it's one of those things where it never felt like to me, it never really felt like the period. It always felt like me too. It felt like the seven. I was like, "Is this supposed it felt to be like a the con- 70s. I was like, "It starts off," and I'm like, "This is the seventies. Everything looks like the seventies." So, Agreed. is this a fantasy about like the blacklist coming back? Or something? Same here, and I think it's purposeful. Same oh, here, and I think it's, it's huh. I think it's to to sort of ana- you know it there there are it's purposeful anachronism in there. You I know what I mean? Because so. he doesn't have a fifties haircut or a fifties you know or, or anything. 50s about I him. actually stopped to be to look at some of the cars to be like wait are those yes, that's are what I thought yes. cars? I was like, are these cars? 50s Same. cars but you see yeah. My, yeah Michael Murphy sits down with him and it's like Tony Roberts sitting down with him in any other yeah. Woody Allen movie and it just felt like <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and I thought Michael yes. Murphy was really great I really liked him yeah Mustel was heartbreaking and heartbreaking. he feels so small Steals in it which is so interesting oh. I mean he feels large when he's performing and then he feels in his sadness and his you know, the way things, so much has been stripped yeah. from him. Yeah. This big man feels small to me. I, I thought he was <laughs> really The saddest scene for me was true. his first scene. I mean, obviously, you know, all he it, his, his storyline gets sadder and sadder, but really the one that broke my heart the most was his first time in the office with, uh, yeah. you know, with the guy from the FBI, yeah. where he's just, oh, he's trying yeah. to make him laugh, you know? He's oh, like, this yeah. is what I do. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I am an entertainer, right? I'm talking about yeah. this girl's big ass. And he just slowly realized, like, wow, I'm getting nothing. Uh, yeah. I'm getting no, nothing. And, I, I, no. and it's that realization of, if I can't make this guy laugh, who am I? What am right. I? You there's, know, not and you a, just, there's not a human being on the other side of that desk. And therefore, I have no, I don't have a purpose. Obviously, the scene, and you know it's coming. Right? You're like, yeah. he's going to kill himself in this hotel room. But he plays it just so wow. beautifully. You know, just like the complete with such opposite. joy. He's just yes. plays against it completely. But the yep. scene, not even the scene where they're haggling over the money, but then the scene oh. where he actually gets the check and he really thinks, my friend's yeah. going to come up with, I did such a good job. And he said he would come up with another $50. He's going to. And he sees the check is only for 250 And he mm-hmm. kind of 
the thing snaps in him, you know, he, yeah. he kind of goes into a rage spiral. He was just yeah. mesmerizing to me whenever he was on. And whenever Woody Allen was on, I was like, it's taking me out of it. The same way I don't want to see Kermit the Frog in a movie that's not a Muppet. It would be like if Kermit the Frog was like, oh, no, no, I'll write your script. And, you know, and you're like, this is a little hard to believe because it's Kermit the Frog. <laughs> that's you what it feels like. That is the Woody plot Allen. of Muppets Take Manhattan. That is the actual <laughs> plot of Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was like, it took me out of it a little. And there's something about the, there's, there's patter to it. And there's, in the writing, there are a lot of like funny lines. It just, and it's okay if it's a comedy. That's kind of cool, a comedy about the blacklist. But it kind of wasn't either. I mean, I like the, I like the movie. It's a satire. It's a satire Man, that it, has its feet on both sides of that yeah, line, for sure. I guess so. I guess so. I wanted it, it to be straighter, more. I think that that's why maybe I kept thinking I would have loved to have seen someone like Dustin Hoffman or someone else. Someone who could play, could easily play, you know, a guy who's really got no moral compunction. You know, a guy who's betting and like, yeah, fuck, I'll take, I'll, I'll take credit for this, you know, and mm-hmm. take your money and help you guys out. But, but I did. But that being said, by the time it got to the end, and maybe this was because I agree with you, Jason. Woody Allen did take me out, especially the scenes with. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on her name, the actress who we who we really liked. Andrea um, Marco. Yeah. Andrea Markovici. Yeah, for, just because I'm like watching him kiss her. I was like, oh, oh eh, you know. Was, yeah. But, um, but I thought at the end when he's there and he's in front of, you know, the board and he's answering, there, there's that moment where they ask him about Hecky. And mm-hmm. suddenly... The, his, you know, you just see his eyes, you see the, all the realization, everything sort of the, all the blaseness that he had for the rest yes. of the movie. It's great. Suddenly the transformation. Hits him. It's actually maybe the, I was like, wow, Woody Allen just fucking brought it there in this shot. Yeah. Like it was a really, because as I was reading more about the movie, it was sort of touted as being, you know, Woody Allen's first dramatic role. That was yeah. the stuff that I was reading. Mm. Um, and it, I'm watching it going, well, not really. And in that moment, it was really sort of a lovely, beautiful, heartbreaking moment where he just realized, oh, I, I wasn't taking any of this seriously. And they literally want me to besmirch a dead man now. Uh, And I, so I was really, so it did. So for as much as I, he was taking me out of it throughout the movie, when it got to that moment, I thought, well, maybe that was the point. Maybe like we need, he needed to be that sort of, you know, eh, whatever, eh, funny, funny to get to that moment. It didn't hit me as hard as it, as it could have or yeah. should have, but I, I did have an he's effect. All, at the end. He's also such a, at that time, right? Such a, a contemporary comic, you know, figure there's something about placing yeah. And of course, any movie star of the day is going to be like, well, this is like our guy right now. But but there's something about him as a personality that I think maybe is it's 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 definitely purposeful. The casting is very purposeful. The the same way anytime you cast like a comedian and something's supposed to be a little more dramatic, it just makes you sit up and notice a little more or like watch or like be like, well, what's happening here? But it's also it's disarming in a way. And it gives it gives the audience a little bit of a a contemporary touchstone. It feels very much like, you know, that, what is that play called? It it can't happen here or whatever. It's very much like saying like, like 
because it does feel like you say, Dan, it's a, something purposeful about like, this feels like a diner in the, you know, restaurant in the seventies and he works the cashier mm-hmm. and his friend comes in off the street and wants to talk to him. And then he, and then they're talking about the blacklist and you're like, the blacklist doesn't exist anymore. It kind of makes right. you say like, mm. well, th- what if, you know, this was only 20 years ago, it brings 25 years ago, yeah. this could, what, mm, what yeah. imagine if this was happening again today or put yep. yourself in these shoes if you lived in a world where this is what was happening to the actors and directors and writers that you know from the big screen or the television screen i don't know and it could happen you know and it could happen yeah that's exactly right it's interesting yeah i i I think that is purposefully within the style of it i think there is a satirical bent to it i i think it's i think it's very uh well made i think it takes a lot of um um uh risks like the the freeze frame at the end you know and and uh, when he does say what he says to the committee upon walking out and, and it freezes but he's the only thing moving and I think that's also part of the fairy tale right and it, it goes right yes, into fairy tales into can come music. true yeah. and it's like okay that's a fairy tale also that happening you know what I'm saying is also a fairy tale because there were either people who said I plead the fifth or there were people who named names and until the moment happened where somebody stood up and said have you no decency we have to end this that's when it ended I don't recognize the right of this committee to ask me these kind of questions and furthermore you can all go fuck yourselves but yeah. nobody said you can go f yourselves. Right, <laughs> you know right. that's just as much as a fairy tale as anything else. So so there's just all these these layers uh, and and levels to it where you where you go is anybody you know and especially when you think about it today and you go wow we've learned nothing from history wow we've learned you know we we haven't um, um, learned the lessons that we were supposed to and this is only. You know, the McCarthy hearings and everything were, were not that far after, uh, not that long after World War Two. And like yeah. I say, and everything that the world rallied to fight against, mm. here it is. Uh, and here is that same propaganda, those same kinds of lies, those same kind of, as you said, besmirching of people's, um, you know, uh, of who they are and saying, well, you're either this or you're this. You're for us or against us. You're American or you're un-American. And it's more about preserving this idea um, rather than uh, the things that Amer- that we just fought for, which is freedom of speech, freedom to follow an ideology, freedom to to um, to express yourself. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be the country where you can go to a you know, you can go to a rally or you can read a, a, a newsletter or make a newspaper or say this against the government, you know, you because we have those freedoms embedded in there. And we have our own government saying, nope, you're not allowed to do that. We're not going to throw you in jail, but we are going to ruin you. Yeah, Yeah, it kind of feels a little bit like it wants to go a little, be a little funnier, you know, be more of a, like a brilliant comedy on the subject or a little mm. more of a drama. This kind of like rode the line, like Zero Mostel being like this burst of comic energy who is also, you know, also the most pitiable character in the, the film is is fantastic but God, he's good yeah but it's um yeah there's like kind of a a lightness to it throughout that is and again p- perhaps purposeful to like to be like okay 
Well, this is a, you know, there's something about it that's like, right? Like wacky romp. It's very like uh, Judge Reinhold and offbeat or something. It's like, yes, I'm going to yes, pose yes. as the yeah. thing. I'm yeah. going to pretend to be a woman to be on a soap opera. I'm going right. to pretend, you know, it has that shticky aspect to it that you're like, okay, if you didn't know what the blacklist was and didn't know what the history was, you'd be like, oh, okay, this is going to be funny. It's going to get into some crazy mix em ups. <laughs> you know? And and I think what part, part of the, part of the reason that that's the, that's the conceit through which that's the lens through which we are told this story is to get the, the viewer to go, don't forget about this. Don't be the Woody Allen character who doesn't see what's coming and doesn't know what's going on and doesn't understand the seriousness of it, which is why when he has his big realization at the end, I, I, thought it worked very well. Oh, the Simpsons spoof right. this or, or, you know, do a take on this in a, in an episode also called the front oh, that's where funny. grandpa oh, really? starts to write for itchy and scratchy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because the kids, the kids, uh, the, the, the guy who runs itchy and scratchy, um, Studios will not accept Bart and Lisa's script, That's but they will right. accept Abe Simpson's script. Right. And and they even spoof the moment where Abe has the realization at the end of the episode. Oh, so and and the camera sort of swirls and moves in on him and he sees what he hath wrought, you know, which is Does violent, you horrible, horrifying cartoon violence, and he storms out. Yeah. And and uh um it's a fun little, you know, sort of spoof of a spoof of a movie that you know not very many people I don't think saw. Time to go the reunion. It'll be great to see the old gang again. Patsy, Ralph Melf, the Fonz. That was happy days. No, they weren't all happy days. Like the time Pinky Tuscadero crashed her motorcycle. Or the night I lost all my money to those card sharks and my dad Tom Bosley had to get it back. How yeah. many Sheilas, you fuckfaces? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go eight. I enjoyed this very much. Wow. Yes. Um, I, I think I'll give it, I was going to do like a 6.5. That's good. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to do a 6.5. Or do I want to go up to a seven? Let's, let's, let's do, oh, you know what? You talked me up a little bit, Dan. Okay. You talked me up a little bit. I don't think I'm. Would, I don't think I'll ever watch it again, uh, right, yeah. but uh, I don't even know if I'd recommend it. So two, no, I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it a six point five. I'm gonna mm, give it, and I know I, I know you would think I would lean closer towards Fred, but I, I had down seven point five. Like I, wow, I think yeah. it's, I don't think it's bad. I think it's, I think yeah, it's you're good. Right. But I mean, seventy five again. I always think of it like on a test. Seventy five is like. Yeah, all right. You, you get Aiello. You, you get Aiello as the fruit man. I actually liked him very much. He's terrific. All right. I know people, I have listeners who hate when I do this, but I'll jump it up to a seven. Yeah. Jump it up no, to a seven. Don't worry about Damon. He understands. He's no, forgiven you so people. many things. I've, I've heard it from other people too. Really? Yeah. They get upset with yeah. you? Yeah. Why? Some people do. Some people do. Because they like consistency in their lives. And I fucked that up. <laughs> Just that's well, like my like, kids and my wife. You sound like they're like, they're like, uh, you know, um, etching it into stone or something as soon as they hear it. And then it's like, oh God, he went to a seven. <laughs> How do I make a six look like a seven? It's not, you know. You know, we, we had a few people write in oh. over the last couple of episodes, but we should, I feel like we should explain. First of all, it's so good to see you guys. We haven't seen each other. For anyone yeah, listening to this episode, we, the three of us, haven't uh, recorded or seen each other in, in, a, in a long time. We sort of recorded the last couple episodes 
yeah, like way back when, because we were all going away and doing things. And so mm-hmm. it's been a while. So a few people wrote in and, uh, you know, I, we, I, we apologize if we didn't bring up what you wrote on any of the episodes is because we recorded the episode so long ago and then yeah, just we started did back and, to the future and dirty dancing more or less back to back. And yeah. then, we, then we took a you know, break to travel. And your do your friend, Dan, and I'm blanking on his name. Who's your friend that you saw back to the oh, future on the rooftop? Yes. My buddy, Brendan O'Neill. Yeah. He, he wrote, wrote a in. lovely letter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, right. yeah. With some, with some great, uh, did he um, say now I can I can I can rest in peace or something? Yeah. And he was like, ah, you talked about Back to the Future. I can die happy. I got a I got a very funny message from uh, my friend Peter Michael Marino. He's a great guy. He's super talented. Uh, playwright, actor, voiceover artist. He's he's, he's a content mm. creator. Give him a little plug. He's he's he creates so much stuff I can't even keep track of it, but he's done a lot of uh he did a lot of virtual shows during the pandemic and he does a lot of one man shows and he wrote a musical that was in the West End, but did tons of stuff. He, Great. Uh wrote me a message the other night saying that he he just saw the taking of Pelham one, two, three and he and he, he loved it and he was having this conversation with his friends and he's like, Oh, I was using all all the stuff you guys were talking about. I was using up using all those points, you know, it was so great. And I'm thinking, uh so I don't I don't think we've done taking a Pelham one, two, three. I said, Oh, sorry. That was the other podcast with the three white guys talking uh, about movies from the seventies. Oh, so, yeah. so, come on. No, there's nobody who does what we do. I know it's weird. We do. There's, there's another podcast with three white guys who talked about movies. That's crazy. And we need to kill them. I listen to all 40 of those. <laughs> 40. That's conservative. Hey, let's face it. Every podcast, every podcast is either three white guys who don't know that much about anything coming together to opine, <laughs> correct, or it's one very smart woman with glasses <laughs> talking about something and she knows so much and you're like, she's 34. Anyway, yeah. that's podcast. <laughs> um, Brendan, just to go, I did find the email from Brendan and I, I just wanted to share this Um uh, story the the spaceman from Pluto. So yeah, it was it was you know they they wanted to um, uh, um, somebody at the studio uh, Sid Sheinberg, who was head of Universal, wanted to call it Spaceman from Pluto instead <laughs> of Back to the Future, which is madness. Um, Back to the Future as a t- he said Back to the Future as a title makes it sound like a time travel themed movie, and Spaceman from Pluto has quote heat and originality. <laughs> uh, the, uh, Zemeckis and Gale go to go to Spielberg, and uh, Spielberg says, "I'll take care of it." Spielberg sends a company wide memo. Hi Sid, thanks for your most humorous memo. We all got a big laugh out of it. Keep him, keep him coming. <laughs> Scheinberg too mortified to tell them he was serious. Never says another word about it. It's that great. Was- Brilliant. Steven great, Spielberg great, great. splurged all over oh, that producer's oh, face. Oh, he was just like splurged. Oh, yeah. Oh, he took out the splurge gun and shot him down. Splurge gun. I was like, well, Fred's yeah. thinking all sorts of wonderful things. <laughs> Fred just found a new name for his penis. Splurge gun. <laughs> splurge gun. Bugsy Malone. See? <laughs> That's what they should have been called. Bugsy Malone, comma. See? Wise guy. Exclamation point, question mark. He's a sinner, candy coated. For all his friends, he always seems to be alone. But they love him, bugs him alone. (laughs) 
1929 New York City, Bugsy Malone captures a flashy world of would-be hoodlums, showgirls, and dreamers, all played by children. Why, you ask? Based on gangster stories he used to tell his children on long weekend drives in the country, Bugsy Malone was writer-director Alan Parker's first feature film. When his son suggested that children play the main characters in the movie, Parker did another bump and said, Good idea! <laughs> going on to substitute wow. gobs of whipped cream for skull-shattering bullets in what has to be one of the weirdest <laughs> movies ever made. The film stars a fantastic Jodie Foster and a very funny John Cassisi of Abe Vigoda's fish fame. Yes, Bernice. Can we call it fame if you've only been on the short-lived 70s sitcom spin-off Fish? Yes. As Fat yes. Sam. Scott Bayo was cast in the leading role when he slammed down the script and stormed out of his audition. Apparently, the boy who would be Chachi was tired of working and just wanted to go to school and play with his friends, but his harridan of a stage mother forced him into studio <laughs> servitude. In classic supervillain fashion, he would grow up to be a hardcore trumper who develops the power to zap things. <laughs> the least charismatic of the film's leads, Flory Duggar, was originally cast in a smaller role. But when the actress first cast as Blousey suddenly grew taller than Bayo, Duggar was promoted. This makes her casting only the 376th most random thing about the making of this movie. <laughs> kidding! Kidding! Who doesn't like Bugsy Malone? Bugsy Malone charmed Siskel and Ebert and the New York Times' Vincent Canby, but left my hero, Pauline Kael, cold, saying, We're not watching actors in a story, we're watching kids doing a stunt, and so we're primed to ooh and ah, the way an audience does for a chimp on The Tonight Show. Wow. While the film became a fixture on television, theatrical audiences may have agreed with Kale, as <laughs> I have BM here, <laughs> instead of Bugsy Malone, I have BM, which, you know, uh, as BM. When you eat Kale, you can have a good BM, that much I know. <laughs> oh, there you go. And that's bringing it all the way around to Splurge Gun, the movie. No, um, audiences may have agreed with Kale as Bugsy Malone earned only 2.8 million dollars at the North American box office, but that's 2.8 more than the front apparently made. This is probably the lowest grossing weekend in movie history. And that's not the weekend, that's the entire theatrical run of Bugsy Malone is 2.8 million dollars. Odd. Anyway, I, I'm making it sound like I hate this, but it's just very weird. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think? Of Bugsy Malone, see, that's my whole review. The movie Bugsy Malone was, I feel like this was one of those movies that my parents and my friend's parents were like, you got to see this. Oh, oh yeah. kids, this is a good one to throw on for the kids. You have mm -hmm. to see this. You've never seen Bugsy Malone? Oh, let's put it on. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we rented it or had a tape of it. Or, I saw it you know, a lot and, as and a kid. You're, you're exactly right. It was on TV like every, you know, few months. They were like, tonight on ABC, Bugsy Malone, yeah. you know, and we would watch it. But I was, I also remember being quite scared of it. I was kind of scared of Fat Sam. I didn't like him. I didn't I I I kind of got I think too early and too young that oh when they get hit with the whipped cream they're dead. You yeah. know, um uh, they don't say dead ever in the movie. They say that he's 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 gone or 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 um Why they don't, don't they even say, say that. He's they don't cream. even say that. He's cream. <laughs> that would be perfect. Yes. 
Uh, that would be perfect. But they say something like he's out of commission or he'll be gone, yeah. you know, not here anymore, not around anymore or something like that. They, there's a euphemism for it. I just it. kept thinking, why don't they just, they just all they do is clean themselves up. You know? But that's why well, they do the freeze frame so that the, the person right. stops moving. And it, it is kind of, it's disturbing. Disturbing yeah. is the word to see a child I, get hit in the face with cream and then the, the, yeah. the camera freezes and right. it's like, you are dead. This is what death <laughs> looks like. Yeah, and you automatically that, replace it with blood and gore in your mind. I'm like, what would that look the, like if the head got shot? That's right. And that's, that's like the weird, thing. weird theatrical trick that this thing plays on you is to go whipped cream equals blood or freeze frame equals death or child equals adult. You know, it, it's doing a weird thing that that. I don't know that any other movie does in your brain what this movie does or is no. meant to do. There is, you know, there's there's not any chemistry between Bayo and Blousey, you know, between Muggsy yeah. and Blousey, because she's just not a very strong actor. But there is between. <laughs> she, but she was the right height. <laughs> yeah, she was the correct height. But there is between Bayo and Jodie Foster, who I wish had more to do with the plot. She doesn't really figure into the plot very much. <laughs> and the so mall good. usually does figure into the plot. And this, <sighs> she's just sort of there um, to be a, a temptation for him in one or two scenes, but doesn't, you know, doesn't figure into the to the resolution of the plot in any way. There, there, there are some some through lines dropped in this. The through line of the narrator is oh, all utter, of them. utterly dropped. You know, all the through lines are dropped. The the, the 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 guy who sweeps up, who wants to be a tap yeah, dancer, I thought there yeah, was going to be a which was tap dance at the end. It was what beautiful, the hell? like what a beautiful fizzy. song and story. I like that very much. Yeah. I you know, like that I love fizzy and the, the dance. The the girl who dances. Gorgeous. Oh, it was great. Tomorrow, an awful price to pay. I gave up yesterday, but they still want more. They are bound to compare me to Fred Astaire when I'm done. But and you get a little shot of him dancing with all of the others in a group number at the end, but you don't get him doing his number. I mean, he's holding yeah. the shoes and you're setting this up of like, oh, we're going to get a he's going to get to dance at the end or or not. Something horrible happens. It's but, the second number in the, in the whole movie. Yeah. You know, it's a, a weird, lot of screen like, time. That's normally where they're like, you know, in a musical, that's mm -hmm. normally where you put like the I want song, you know, yeah. and it is. It's yes. like, this is what he wants. Yes. But so then I'm thinking, watching this going, oh, is he going to be like one of the main characters? Are we going to come back <laughs> no. to him? Right. And he's sort of replaced with the boxer character at the end. You're but, right. Um, yeah, you're does, right. Does Bugsy Malone sing a song in this? Does he Scott does. Dale he sings sing? the song in the soup kitchen. That's his one song. And I thought that was a good song. Weird, oh, that's you know? the one song that I did not... Yeah, down, the, all down, the songs down, were weird. Down. That just seemed um, incongruous. Like I get it. That that moment was like it was like a very you know Clifford Odets waiting for Lefty. You know, come on, <laughs> yes, let's rise right. up, rise up. Yeah, it Great just depression. seemed that was the one. The whole movie to me was a was like. 20 minutes too long, I thought, um, for what it was. And that number, I thought, hmm. whereas it fit into the the era, you know, and I mean, the the, the, yeah. the attention to detail to getting to making that Prohibition era gangster movie, like, was astonishing. So that oh, fit yeah. in there, but I don't know if it fit into the rest of the story. You know, they needed an army of, 
of people. I feel like they could have figured out a different way. It was a weird, the placement of some of the songs was odd. Like I feel like Jodie Foster's song should have been earlier to set her up. And you're right, Dan, like she, I mean, she acting wise, she was, it was insane how heads and tails above. Oh I mean, but she was like she was yeah. literally working on Taxi Driver at the time right, when right. you know she's she like was working good. with De Niro and well, Scorsese. She's, she's the smartest person in any room she's in, even at twelve that's what years the old. That's what Alan Parker talks about that. He's like he's like I just learned so much from her. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I mean, she's a kid. Just just loved being around her. She was just. She's yeah, she's preternaturally just brilliant. It's nuts, yeah, it's nuts. And I, you know, as far as back to just being scared by this movie, yeah, I, I couldn't. So many memories came back of seeing this movie again and again. Like when Rasmataz starts singing, but it's Paul. I assume Paul Williams's voice. I think, yeah, that was weird to me as a kid. I was like, what? I don't, I don't know if this movie's kind of weird and scary and and off putting to me as a kid. But this time, I was charmed by it. I was kind of charmed. by, by all of it. I, 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 I don't know that I get a hundred percent what Alan Park, I don't understand the why of That's this movie. I, mean. I, don't I guess it. till the end, maybe then it's like, Oh, let's all be nice to each other and not fight. And it's like, okay, but <laughs> is that, but that seems a little <laughs> weak. It's no. just, I mean, it's the, the why extends beyond just the parameters of, well, why do that? Like even it's just because the why extends to, why were you it's your first movie like you're not even a proven quantity is like well he's directed this this and this so let him have his his weird you know like yeah this feels like a passion project he's earned this one (laughs) it's like you never made a movie before people obviously gave you buckets of money and then you don't even like tie up plot threads or anything it just kind of like just kind of bursts out into the streets like give a little love it comes back to you hey it's like it's like a muppet movie and that it's like Mm -hmm. it's just when it's time to end everybody will just sing something about like hey be nice to each other ending that's what i thought of at the end i'm like this reminds me of the end of the muppet movie and you know this (laughs) is what when we set out to do yeah it's like the lovers also paul williams also paul williams This is the first time I'd ever seen this movie. Oh, really? Oh, I never seen it as a kid growing up. No, I mean, really? it, was, it was everywhere. I think I was a little frightened of it as well, Dan. It's scary. Yeah. As you're saying it, there was something. I mean, it was everywhere. I remember, yeah, it always being on TV. I remember seeing it in the video stores when those, you know, were a thing. And, mm-hmm. but I never, you know, it's so funny. When I was going to rewatch it, I could have sworn that I'd seen some clips on TV and I was sure that the actor, and I'm blanking, I don't remember his name, but he played, he was in Vacation. He played um, uh, 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 Uncle Eddie's, Cousin Eddie's son. And he was also in the movie Taps. He was sort of like a ubiquitous actor of uh, in the early 80s. What role was he in Bugsy Malone? He wasn't. That's the thing. I always remembered him. I had like, just like I I pictured myself doing a bicentennial play. I had a very clear memory of like, oh yeah, that kid plays the bad guy in Bugsy Malone. He's not in it at all. So when I was watching him, I just kept waiting. I'm like, oh, when does he show up? Oh, he's going to be babyface. No, that's not baby. That's who was, it was Dexter Fletcher. Who's like, you know, he's He's gone into a great acting career and directing career. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's done a lot of stuff. Um, He was in Band of Brothers and he directs a lot now. What? But, so I, Crazy. 
I had never seen it. Uh, and I agree with you, Dan. I was like, like I said earlier, it went on a little too long for me. Uh, but I was absolutely charmed and it just, it's maybe one of the most, for better or for worse, the most unique oddities of a movie oh, yeah. that <laughs> certainly that we've ever spoken about on this podcast, Toxic Adventure Notwithstanding, <laughs> but that just I've ever seen. And it really, it's just such an oddity. It, you know, it, it's so dumb to be like, oh my God, everyone is kids. But that's what I kept thinking for the first 10 minutes. We're going, oh my God, everyone is kids. And not just, it's, it's everyone. The background yeah. players, the pictures yeah. of people's families on <laughs> yeah. their walls. Like again, the attention to detail, everyone. And it really takes you, a, at least it took me a while to sort of wrap my head around that, that yeah, these are yes. all kids. And then, yeah, when they start singing, like, oh my God, I love the um, the woman, the, like the old Italian woman who lifts up the window to yell <laughs> yes. at them in the street. And I'm like, wait, but that's a little girl that's a kid. yelling yeah, in Italian. Right. Oh my <laughs> but gosh. it really, yeah. it, the way it was written, the way it was filmed, again, the attention to detail, the set design, I'm like, this was just basically like they were going to make a James Cagney, you know, Angels with Dirty Faces gangster movie or whatever. And I mean, the feel is right. I mean, it the feels feel is exactly right. Yeah. It's dead mm-hmm. on the way they talk. And it was really weird. Yeah. When they started to speak, when they started to sing, that is, and you heard Paul Williams voice. And, yeah. I, and I was reading somewhere this morning that that's the one thing that they feel like was a mistake. At least Paul Williams does. Oh. He goes, I wish. And as I was watching it, I'm going, Interesting. I sort of like it because it's weird mm-hmm, and yeah. it's it just adds to the weirdness of the movie. But I, I wondered what it would have been like if they just had the kids sing, whether they could sing or not, even yeah. if they just sang in like their, yeah. you know, you know, maybe shitty voices. Yeah. Uh, I did think it would have been sort of cool at the end and maybe this would have been too on the nose. I don't know because, yeah, when it got to the end and they're just having like this crazy bloodbath food food fights you know which was very cute and then they start to sing you know we could have been anything that we wanted to be which was sung earlier Mm -hmm. i was i thinking that would sort of be nice if at that point the kids are actually singing it you know Mm. that it's almost like maybe that's the overarching theme to what you're saying jason i mean this might be too highfalutin of an idea that like it needs an idea though no we're gonna be you know we we can be anything we want to be and we can be ourselves now like basically Mm -hmm. the movie is these kids playing dress up yeah they're playing cops and robbers they're playing shoot them up yes you know which is it's kids playing ultimately that's a layer of irony i suppose it's like okay are gangsters just kids who never grew up or something like that or criminals uh, is that why was that where the criminal mindset comes from it's what's the point of it it's so realistic that it that it's weird like it like like i like what you're saying i think it would be interesting if it if they kind of broke it like they wiped the cream out of their and then like you said yeah the kids voices or maybe some of the costumes come off or maybe you pull back and you see the lights or whatever. You see like the, the artifice of it or like a Michelle Gondry would have had, like, you know, yeah. you think of something like it wouldn't make a strong rewind, point, like but <laughs> something. no, not that it would make a strong point. But it's it would have been sweet. I guess it would have been something. It would have <laughs> been something. It's just never, it's just like you sat through this. It's just little kids played gangsters in a very like, in a, like, like the set from, 
Dick Tracy or Johnny Dangerously or or the first ten minutes of <laughs> Very the Johnny Michael Dangerous Keaton Batman, you know, where it's like yes. there were scenes that looked just like when like Robert Wool is like talking with you know reporters and co- like all the trench coats and fedoras and this and that. Yeah. Like there are a lot of movies from the eighties and nineties that harken back to this period and this style and they have, and they feel fakey, like for better, it's like they, like the shadow does it. The shadow, you read my mind, the shadow. Dick Tracy, this movie reminds me a lot of Dick Tracy. Reminds me a lot of Dick Tracy. But Mm -hmm. even the the first Michael Keaton Batman, they do some of that, like they're really looking for that kind of, uh, that noirish thing. But just like, why the kids? I just never understood (laughs) why kids. I don't know. I think it was, but you know what I was thinking about Alan Parker? He's, he's sort of the fascinating director because I was, yeah. I was going, I'm like, well, what, what, what have I seen? You know, what else has Alan Parker done? And he's sort of, it is interesting that this is his first movie, yeah. but it does sort yeah. of set up. He's sort of a guy who does, who tends to lean towards making strange movies using people who are sort of out of their element because mm. he's got kids playing gangsters. His next movie was The Wall, which I is know. another fucked up weird movie. Weird. And there he's using like Bob Geldof, who's not an actor, he's using a musician, you know, mm-hmm. so that's sort of out of his comfort zone. Uh, the Commitments, I forgot, which is a movie yeah. that I love. Again, it's all non-actors. He's just using musicians. Yes. Uh, even in a sense, Evita, you know, having Madonna, mm-hmm. you know, do uh-huh. a role like that. She was very, so I don't know. Maybe that's just sort of his thing. Like, let's do something and just subvert it and use people who, you know, aren't supposed to, you know, normally be a part of this world. I, I who knows? I mean, it sounds like it started off as just a very innocent idea. Like you said, Jason, I read that as well, that he would just tell these stories to a kid, to his kids and like, oh, that'd be fun. It's just strange to me that someone can have that, you know, oh, I just told the story to my kids. It was fun. It was goofy. Now I'm going to make a, 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 a motion, uh, a splurge gun, a major motion picture. <laughs> You're right. That normally seems like sort of a passion just, project. Yeah, someone la- just, later in life is weird. I mean, not that it's not effective in a lot of ways and, and fun. It is. It's, it's very, it's, but it's a half it's British production it's, yeah, that's and that true. seems to track. There is something and you can hear it with some of the kids, like their accents go in and out, a little bit. but there is a weird British sensibility to yeah. it as well that sneaks in there. And that's what I kept thinking. I'm going, how did this get made? And I'm going, well, it had to do, it must've been the British production company. Like there was something that, you know, I don't, I don't know why, but it seemed to me that that was, they were the ones who maybe took the chance <laughs> on the it most money and took the chance yeah. Yeah, maybe. but as weird as it was i i got a kick out of it i loved me too danny dandy dan he was great that, that oh my, kid he, was great he died very young i just yeah. he died like in his yes, 30s he, i don't no, know how no. but he i mean excellent. he looks like ronald coleman he looks like the <laughs> old stars of the day like with Absolutely. his pencil mustache he looks like he's 35 and, and so and he bizarre. was like jodie foster in the sense of like feeling that assured as an yes, actor like yes. didn't feel like a kid pretend like he was like this kid is just that character. And it how does yeah, this kid know weird. that style? I yes. kept I kept going. It's like, how does this kid understand the style of this so I know, well? I, know. I mean, John Cassisi and Scott Baer, they're doing a New York, Brooklyn thing. And yeah. it's like, I get it. But that kid 
kid who plays Dandy Dan is like he 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 understands the style of the of the movie villain, yeah. the sort of dandy movie villains of of the day. And I was like, how does he how does he have a frame of reference for that in 1976? He was he was terrific. He was he kind was of my funny. favorite thing in it. And I yeah, I, I actually I liked. Uh, John Cassisi. I thought he was funny. I liked him. I thought he was great. He was blustery. He was very like, you know, like, yeah. like, like he makes you think of Pacino and Dick Tracy a little bit or, totally. or, or like uh, <laughs> De Niro as Al Capone. He's like got that kind of bluster yeah. and swagger. And, you know, I mean, he's not, he's not Pacino or De Niro, but he's like that energy is great. He, he does it yeah. really, really well. And you sort of, and you, you feel for him towards the end, you know, when he's yeah. like, I got nothing anymore. Uh, but then he was like, but then he was also, he was sort of scary, you know, when he goes to sit down at the bar and the bartender's laughing at him. What's so funny, Buster? You find me amusing? No, boss. I'm sorry. I wasn't smiling at you. Honest, I was. Find my suit funny or something? No, boss. It was your flower. Oh, yeah, it is kind of droopy, ain't it? Yeah, a little, boss. <laughs> In fact, it's very droopy. <laughs> very droopy, boss. <laughs> Hold it a minute, will you? You need some water. <laughs> Don't ever let me see you laughing at me again, you hear? I'll surrender this man right down your throat. I'm Fat Sam. Don't ever forget that. Number one man, top dog, Mr. Big. Always have been, always will be. Now get out of here. Yes, Bernice. I was reading that in the casting of it, uh... They said that to find Fat Sam, Alan Parker visited Brooklyn. He went to a Brooklyn classroom and he asked uh, for the kids to to introduce him to the naughtiest boy in class. Ah. And apparently, everyone in yeah. class was unanimous in selecting this kid. That's oh my God! Yeah. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> wow! That's how That's you got the role of the sailor in Hamlet, isn't it? And you have the exact same way, Doctor Mason. Naughty said, Who's was the naughtiest. And they all pointed at you. So, hello, Sailor. <laughs> Jesus. That was me. Uh, yeah, I did think that when they did, when they got splurged, I thought that was really funny. But I, I did keep thinking like, well, why don't they just clean it off and then they'll just move on or something. But You think a little too uh, literally there, Fredo. I guess it's they can't do that. Literally. They're dead. And the children are dead. When they get splurged, <laughs> it it's children. dead death. It's scary. It's a scary yeah. movie. It was too scary it, it, for me. It's 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 weird, and the me. I, I mean, I liked the music for the most part. I just thought it was it was a strange, it was a strange musical structure. You know, I really mm. like like that tomorrow song, but that, that was it. Seemed like a weird place. Yeah. You know, it seemed like a weird place. I thought Jodie Foster's song that should have been earlier. She should have been set up earlier, you know, and had more of a, I guess a sort of slightly a bigger role. Give you know, her something she was to more do that's conflict. in the plot, you know, give her something to do that has, to, that affects the plot yeah. somehow. You know what I thought was really good too, was the, um, the, uh, the, not the boxer was good, but like the trainer that he brings him to. He was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was really funny. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. I also be, I also remember being, scared of that scene somehow like I was like there's too many kids there's too much it's for the same reason I was scared of electric company it's like there's too much happening I needed things to be sort of slow and gentle like the Muppet movie it's amazing to me that there and well actually no I was gonna say that there was never a musical but I think there was a musical in the West End and I think I read that Catherine Zeta-Jones was in it when she was really young yeah I want to say in the 90s there was a musical of the front 
with yes! Brian Darcy James as, I read that as, uh, well. as, as the Woody what? Allen part. And, and yeah, Richard yeah, Kind yeah. in and the Zero Mostel role, Zero which is perfect. Star. It didn't have a, it was a workshop. It didn't, it didn't go anywhere. But in like 2008, there was a workshop of a musical version of The Front. It's a great idea for a musical. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, combine yeah, The and Front Bugsy Malone and Bugsy Malone. Great, but, uh, <laughs> Bugsy Malone would work better. In a weird way, I'd be like, Oh, no, it would feel like a school play. I was going to be like, would that be fun to like watch a musical with kids playing the gangsters? I don't know. I mean, it was cool. Don't get me wrong. It's it's cool. I just kept looking for the like, why? Or like the, the bookend or something or the, the you know, the something. Yeah. That, why are we doing this? That yeah. kind of starts it off and you can tell. I don't know why I need. I need something to tell me we're in a dream or we're in a kid's fantasy or like a kid's playing dress up. And then all of a sudden it explodes out into this, this very realized fantasy, but I maybe that would have made it too pat. You know, there's something, I think why it's so, so enduring it just starts and ends. And it's like, you just saw a yeah, movie about it. a world with only children. Does, does that freak you out? That that's why I think adults? the legacy is so enduring. I mean, I know people who really love this movie and I think that's why, cause it's just, it's so weird. It is It is what it is. And there's no, there's never a wink. The only time there's a wink, which I thought was funny, but seemed strange. Suddenly it was when, um, when Fat Sam was like, we'll read the subtitles. When the guy's like, yes. Yes. When the the guy Knuckles was like yeah. I, I don't understand uh, Italian. I'm Jewish. Yeah. That was a very meta moment. Yeah. But other than that, and it there's nothing never, else like that, which is funny. Yeah, yeah. there's, yeah. there's never a moment Johnny where it's sort of like, lead. this is why we're doing this. It's just... This is the world that we've created. Right. Ready? Here we go. Yeah. I like That's the pedal of the pedal pedal like cars. Yep. Those yeah, are very great. I like the car chase. Very Flintstonesy. Um, I like the um, you know, what would be a cigarette girl in a real gangster movie. She's passing out cupcakes and, yeah. you know, candy and things. That's yes. fun. And it's all sarsaparilla and fruit juice right. instead of booze, right. and that's fun. Right. And uh um, yeah, I mean, they commit to the world, that's for sure. And that's kind of, you know, one of the most fun things about it is how much they have their feet in both worlds. But yeah, the, the, the big overriding question is why, other than the message at the end of let's all be friends, which does feel pat to me, not as pat as it's pat. But <laughs> nonetheless, I'm at seven point five. Ah. I'm gonna meet you there, seven point five. Okay. I enjoyed it. I'm I'm now we're switching. I'm I was at six point five, but maybe uh, I maybe I'll creep up to a seven. I should creep up to a seven. That's that's churlish. These are children for God's sake. <laughs> Children I feel doing like people something should I don't see understand. This movie. They're all sixty years old. I think now, people should yes. see a clip from this movie. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe no, you're right. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, oh God. Look at me wavering, wavering. Don't feel bad. Scott Bales is the lead. He's, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Come on. This is probably what took him down the QAnon path, this movie. Because I mean, he's he spent his whole life going, why? Why was I hitting face with pies at this yeah, age? Life feels like a conspiracy after that. Like, after this movie. Especially right. when he's like, when the story is, I mean, I was sad when I, you know, I'm joking in that intro. It's like, he was like tired of working. He just wanted to play with his friends. He went to the audition and he kind of like, shat the bed on the audition purposely he was trying to throw it and then yeah. they're like that's the quality we need you're hired and his parents were like that's more money in the bank bail oh, 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 and that was it oh, and he was like someday oh, oh, oh. someday a gentleman with terrible hair 
will understand my concerns. I'm going to stick with the 6.5. I'm, 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 right. I'm, I'm following in my, my, my hero, Pauline Kael's footsteps, and I'm not, not giving it too much more. But anyway, well, there you go. Bugsy, Bugsy Malone. Very uh, a fascinating, unique little weekend at the cinema. Um, <laughs> we're going to be back soon. With our, Do you have anything else? And can we? No, I toyed with the idea of Eustace calling in to try to pretend that he's Sheila and like as a front you know, like fronting that he's toked maybe or someone else. I couldn't pull it together in time. That's fine. I'm just, but I'll keep that because it's I was going to say, you got to keep that because that's, that was brilliant. <laughs> Imagine if you will, audience, Eustace calling in on the phone and pretending to be Sayer of the Flaw or someone else that usually calls in. You're going to be like, doing this is a poor the sloppiest episode ever. No cold open. No, no. no phone no. call. Just, just describing things to us. It's yeah. like, yeah, well, we'll find our groove back. We were on vacation. Come on. I'm back at work. I was on, but we were all on vacation. Oh, we do, break, you know, I forgot what a podcast it. is. So, <laughs> Well, you're living it now, buddy. You Because you did right. a stellar job. Fred. <laughs> Middling at best. No. Middling as usual. No, no, no. Well, next next time you're going to be, put your big boy pants on. Okay. <laughs> I will. Uh, we're going back to 1987. We were just there for Dirty Dancing, but we're going back Fabulous. for the 35th anniversary of Fatal Attraction. Wow. Glenn Close and Michael Douglas, as well as Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser starring oh, Pinhead no. or whatever. I've never seen it. I'm too scared it. to watch that movie. I, mean, I just I've gave never it away seen that either. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I've never seen any I of I can't wait for you guys to, <laughs> to see, see that. Hellraiser. I've been really, I've really been looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, I'm really. Oh, no. I hate that. I hate when I have to, because of this podcast, I have to watch movies that I've tried to I, avoid because I'm such a scaredy them. pants. I don't schedule them because I don't like that kind of movie either, but yeah. I'm like, it's a big one and yeah. it's the same day Fatal Attraction okay. came I'm out. I'm not so going to say a damn oh, word. No. You, I okay. can't wait. I'm going to hate Great. it. Great. Yeah. Danny, what you got? The theme to the front? I think I have to do fairy tales will come true. I mean, I could try to <gasps> oh. do Bugsy Malone, but oh, that's, that's a good. little I bit, actually was uh, thinking, oh, he's going to do something from Bugsy Malone because it's a musical yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you're right. That song was so potent in the front. That's yeah. A great yeah. Thing. So in a, you know, in a week where we have a musical and a non-musical, I'm picking a song from the non-musical. <laughs> that's, again, you're changing it up. You're, you're, Three you're, strikes. You're making us strikes. ask why, like Alan Parker did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do a little Young at Heart. Here we go. Let me tune up because it's been a while. Okay. Young at fart. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so ironic. Talk about layers of irony. It's so ironic that 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 that's from the front because it sounded like it came from the back. <laughs> the opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa. 
with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Yes, Bernice.